morning, Solace Church. So glad that you're here today with us. If you're a guest visiting with us on this Mother's Day, we are so honored that you chose to be here. Thanks for being a part of our our service. We're beginning a new series today called This Is My Story. And on this Mother's Day, we want to share with you the story of Nathan and Mikkel Moyer. Nathan and Mikkel have been through an incredible journey of both uh, incredible blessing and a period of real challenge. And then also this period of kind of restoration, how God brought them out of that challenge and is bringing them along on that journey. And so I want to share with you today their story. Watch this. We're Nathan and Mikhail Moyer, and we've been going to Saul's for about eight years now. And we'll be married, be married for seven years next week, May 16th. And this is our story. Um, Nathan and I were married in May of 2009, and we um, were in college at, in Stillwater at OSU. He graduated in 2011, and we moved um, back for his job. We wanted to start having a baby, or trying to have a baby immediately, and um, it took us a year, you know. We had one miscarriage, but that was really normal. Um, and then we had our boss man in May of 2012. Everything was great. We had um, a couple of years with him before we wanted to start trying to have another. Mm-hmm. And um, we decided when he was about one and a half to start trying again and um, had another miscarriage as soon as we started trying. And our doctor again said that was really normal. And, um, and the next time we tried, it happened again. Um, And after that, he wanted to do some testing. So um, everything came back normal on the test. So we were just thought we were an anomaly. Um, And then we had a rough year in 2013 as far as um, had just some crummy life things happen. And we decided um, we wanted to move closer to church. And moving was stressful. And we were going to build a house. And that was stressful. And, um, And then... In January, I woke up in the middle of the night one night and um, felt really funny. Felt um, my heart was racing. I had tunnel vision and I felt dizzy. Like I would um, pass out and I had Nathan call an ambulance, which I feel silly about now. Your hands and feet were tingling and yeah, but it built it built before then too, and it was you, you started to were scared of things. Mm-hmm. We couldn't go to the lake because of, you just you were abnormally scared before. Yeah. Planes would fly over and it just kind of hits yeah. you up. And then um, it kept happening. It, it happened several other times and I had no idea what was going on. I thought, um, I honestly thought I had a brain tumor or, um, you know, something of that nature that I was having heart issues was for sure a thought that went through my mind and... Um, after it happened a couple of times, a doctor um, said, well, I think you might be having some anxiety and um, put me on an anxiety medication and I took it um, and woke up that night um, completely unable. I was shaking so bad. I wasn't able to, you know, function or anything. My heart, when the... um, we called the ambulance. Yeah, when they came, I think it was at 160 beats a minute, and they took me to the ER, and um, 
from that day on, I know the day it was April 4th, 2014, and I wasn't the same. My life was turned upside down. You know, she went to sleep that night, and everything was fine. We had our niece and nephew over in Boston, and we were watching movies, and it was a great time. And then you woke up, and from that point on, for six months, totally different person, um, for six months at least. I wasn't able to go anywhere. Um, I lived was in a constant state of fear and panic that I had these waves rush over me. It just felt like adrenaline going through my body. And she described it to me one time like she was running from a pack of wolves, but there's no pack of wolves. So yeah. your adrenaline's running. My, my insides felt like I was running a marathon, and my outside just was tired and wanted to rest. It's a bizarre feeling. And I couldn't do my normal everyday things, but, you know, being a mom and a wife is what I love, doing laundry and dishes. I don't necessarily love doing those things, but that's my livelihood. That's taking care life. of us. You like, she yeah. loved taking care of me in Boston. Like, yeah. that's what she did. Yeah. And like, I couldn't, um, I couldn't do that at all. I, uh, and at one point I looked at my son who was my life and, um, I felt nothing. And uh, that's when I, you know, I started having suicidal thoughts and, you know, things like that. If, if he doesn't make me happy, then life is not worth living. Um, it was probably like, that, that time we were, it was probably May, late May, June-ish. Yeah, and through all of this, um, you know, we're still desperately wanting another baby and trying and failing and... Um, so, uh, by miscarriage number seven, uh, we find out, we got a new doctor and find out that it's due to a chromosome issue. So, you know, that was thrown into the mix of things as to, um, will we ever have another baby if we do? <laughs> what you know? the chances, all that stuff. I was relieved in a way to know what was going on, but in a way I was really scared of what the future would hold and. That was in December and January. Um, I was starting to get to where I could go places again, and um, we went out to eat for Nathan's birthday, and I was feeling really good that day, and I remember uh, just how great I was feeling, and um, we were sitting there laughing and talking at the Cheesecake Factory, and uh, we noticed an older man walking toward our table, and throughout this whole thing, I had told Nathan and other people several times that I felt like I was just living in darkness. I just felt this dark cloud over me, which I know was depression now. A man came to our table and he said, I want you all to know that um, that I sense from God that whatever darkness you've been going through is getting ready to turn into a lot of light. Just to stay the course. That's what he said to us. And I know both of our mouths just dropped open because I used those exact words not, not too long ago. And um, that gave me even more hope to keep going um, but I still faced some really dark times after that and uh, in a time where I felt like I couldn't feel God you know I prayed and, and begged daily that's what I spent my day doing praying and begging <laughs> and um, he sent he was there you know looking back and people you know loving me and, and being there for me but he also showed me that I needed to rely solely on him. 
Every time I went to the doctor, which was a lot, because I was seeking reassurance from from them about how I was feeling because I felt so sick, I, I couldn't eat, and they would give me a, me a medication and I would try it and it wouldn't work. It would, in fact, make me worse. <laughs> and I remember thinking, God, why? Like, why can I not take a pill like most people who suffer with anxiety or panic disorder and it make me better? And um, I was angry. <laughs> God for a while about that. I, I wanted to take something to make me better. I looked to Nathan to make me better. You know, I, and while he was my constant source of comfort and reassurance, which I know had to be so hard, um, it wasn't what I needed. Boston was not what I needed, and my friends weren't what I needed. I was stripped down to, to, to nothing in order to be built back up and learn to um, learn to let go of control. What, how many miscarriages do we have from December to... Four more. Um, and, and But I had been feeling better. I started feeling better. After that man said that, you know, I, I decided no matter how bad I felt, I was going to go do the things that I needed to right. do. I was going to go to the grocery store and go and do everything that I did before, even though it felt terrible and my chest would get tight and I would feel like I couldn't breathe. And, but I'm, every time I went to the store, I could stay a little longer. And, and um, May 15, it was what, like a year and a month after it first started? And it was, you were, finally you were saying, you've had more good days than you had bad days. Yes. Some things were fading away. I could drive and uh, not feel really panicky driving it was coming back. I was being restored. But we were still trying to have a baby because that was we it. had to have our babies two years apart because that's what all good people do. And uh, <laughs> it didn't work that way. <laughs> so uh, it was what we decided, we figured out with my chromosome issue and then you, we started looking other ways to try to have a baby. So and it, it wasn't looking good for us at we, that point. We were okay with having one kid. We were going to be a, a single kid family, and that's what we were going to be. I wasn't okay with it. But, yeah. <laughs> I talked myself into it. So. Yeah. And right around Christmas time, just a few days before Christmas, we found out we were expecting again. And, you know, we certainly don't get excited when we find out. <laughs> we were sitting in church, and we were singing, and I just felt like God was saying, he said uh, that this pregnancy is going to work out. And I was like, oh, okay, well, yeah, that's cool. I mean, I think that's God, but. I don't know. And I was like, I'm definitely not going to tell her because, I mean, she'll grasp onto that and it'll tear apart even more if it doesn't work out. <clears throat> and then I feel like you said, and you need to tell Mikel right now. And I was like, oh, crap, are you serious? <laughs> like, if this doesn't work, then it, she's going to be ruined. So, uh, and I, I told her and um, we went to the doctor the next week and it was perfect and it's been perfect ever since. We've got nothing, nothing but good news every time we've gone and um, I can't tell you how many times I've stepped into the ultrasound room and that kind of things and gotten bad news. And every time I go, I get this feeling. But I remember what, what God told Nathan and how he spoke to me through him. And I get this complete sense of comfort every time. And so here we are at 24 weeks doing great. Everything looks perfect. And um, it's just part of our restoration. We've 
we go through these things um, so that we can comfort others when they go through them. And I have found that that's where my heart is, and I want to pursue, uh, finish my degree in counseling and, and deal, you know, specialize in people who have anxiety and panic disorder and and counsel women who have gone through multiple miscarriages. And you learn that in your darkest hour, whenever you feel like God isn't even close, that that He is. <laughs> you look back and see He was there and know that you can go through anything. And um, and you look back and, and see better. why things happen like they happen. And you look back and you're like, oh, wow, I wouldn't be where I'm at now if I wouldn't have went through that. Yeah, I feel like I've been tried by fire and have come out a lot better than I was before. And found sure. your calling. I mean, really, found, like, your purpose most. Yeah. Hold on to hope, no matter how you feel. Don't let your emotions dictate your future. God is constantly doing something new. You don't, whenever you feel like you're stuck somewhere, you're not. You're, you're being moved forward. You're right where God wants you to be, and you're being tried by fire, you're being fined. Yeah, it made, it made better. It made new, made better, made uh, stronger. Yeah. Whenever you are tried and your faith is tested, then it gives it a chance to grow and to build endurance. And that's my faith is as solid as it could possibly be now. And I would go through that again. Oh, as hard as that is to say, I would go through it again to have my faith where it's at today. Thank you, Nathan and Mikkel, for sharing that story. An incredible story. I was watching their story, and something, something just hit me about a reality that exists inside of our faith. It's clear throughout Scripture. This is it. Just write this down. Even when God seems absent... It does not mean that God is absent. You can see that all throughout their story. And you see it in scripture as well. David, King David, before he became king, faced some significant challenges in his life. He felt like God gave him some clarity, but, but, but what he thought was going to come to pass wasn't coming to pass. What he had hoped for and longed for seemed so far out of reach for him. And in the midst of that, in the midst of his story unfolding, in Psalm 22, these are his words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever heard those words before? It, Do you know where they are in Scripture besides Psalm 22? These are the very words of Jesus on the cross as his story was unfolding. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. It's Aramaic. It means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me when darkness covered the whole earth as he hung there on the cross? David goes on in Psalm 22 to say this, Why are you so far from saving me, 
so far from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night and am not silent. These words are powerful. They speak to the nature, they speak to the heart of the turmoil, of the difficulty of walking through a period when God seems absent. And on this Mother's Day, I know it's a day of celebration, and I hope that you do that. But here's the truth. There are some moms in the room. There are some individuals in the room. And you can relate to Mikkel's story. Because for this season, if we were able to hear your story, there would be a story right now going on of one where God seems absent. You're in the midst of that, and, 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 and you're trying to make sense of the absence of God. There was a man that was born in the, in, in the 16th century, about 1542. His name was St. John of the Cross, or he would become known as St. John of the Cross. He was born in the Dark Ages. And he wrote about this incredible phenomenon that exists inside of Christianity called the Dark Night of the Soul. It's that period of time in the life of a believer when when God seems to withdraw himself for a season. And you can't find him, you can't see his activity, and he seems to be absent. We learned about this this last week when we sat in a three-day intensive spiritual formation workshop or retreat. And we learned about the activity of God and how he moves in our lives. The dark night of the soul. It's in those moments that our faith is tested. It's in those moments that the character of God is is tested, at least in our minds and in our hearts. What's amazing about the story of David, though, is after David speaks to us or speaks to God and says, why have you forsaken me? He goes on in the text to declare a truth about the nature of God. Listen to this. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you, our fathers put their trust They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. Isn't that an amazing series of verses? Where are you, God? Yet I've watched you and your activities. I've heard of your renown and you've always proved yourself faithful. Those who put their hope and trust in you were never disappointed when all was said and done. Isn't that amazing? So in the midst of the darkness of David's life, in the midst of uncertainty, he declares a truth about God. You are faithful, you do not disappoint. David does not say that by experience in this moment. He says it by faith in the character of God. David, in the rest of Psalm 22, records some of his story for us, certainly not all of it, just the cliff's notes, just a few thoughts about David's story. He's wrestling, he's struggling with this reality now. I don't know the last time that you read Psalm 22, but it's pretty intense. He's got some questions. He's got some concerns. He's struggling with things. I think it's remarkable. And by the way, the the book of Psalms is not recorded for us in chronological order. It's not as though these events happen in chronological or time order. It's probably true that Psalm 22 was written... In the midst of one of the crisis moments of David's life. But do you know what follows Psalm 22? (laughs) Psalm 23. No, that wasn't a trick question. (laughs) 
the very same person who wrote, My God, why have you forsaken me? Also wrote Psalm 23. Have you heard of that before? Maybe once. Listen to the words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And he leads me beside quiet, stilled waters. And he restores my soul. And he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love or mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Incredible. How can one man on one hand write, where are you, God? And then on the other hand, write about the faithfulness and provision and comfort and love and mercy of God. You know why one man can write that? It's because in the darkness of the night, God is still very much writing your story. It's not finished in the darkness. As a matter of fact, sometimes, in only a way God can understand, he allows us to go through those periods of darkness for a reason. One of the incredible pictures I had a chance to just kind of be exposed to in my thinking and my imagination was shared this last week. I listened and I was captivated by the reality of this picture, this word picture. Just listen for a moment. The sun, the S-U-N, the sun... It's been studied by scientists for many, many, many years. But there's a part of the sun that is so intense and so bright that it cannot be studied unless there is an eclipse. It's called the corona. It can only be studied when darkness enters in so that then the corona can be seen through the darkness or in light of the darkness. Isn't that a great picture? And I think, I think God is willing to take us through those moments of darkness so that the, the light, the person work of Jesus, the faithfulness of God can be seen because of the darkness that comes into our lives. And so you're here this morning. And maybe you're living in Psalm 22, where God seems absent. I don't know if I can be like the man was for Nathan and Mikkel to come alongside you and just speak a word of life into you. But, 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 but I just want to try this morning to help you understand that your story is not complete yet. That whatever you feel right now in despair and whatever you feel in darkness and whatever you feel in in, in doubt and uncertainty, God is still very much at work in your story. It is his story he is writing and you're a part of the incredible picture of God's grace and mercy he's unfolding in your life. And so don't despair because Psalm 23 has also been written right now. 
Here's what I want us to do for a moment. I, I, I want us just, just for a moment. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? We're not done. Just, just do this with me just for a moment. Hey, this is Pastor Matt Blair. Thank you so much for taking time to check out our podcast today at solacechurch.com. You know, we realize that it's possible as you listen to this message today that God may have spoken to your heart about something. So if you made any kind of spiritual decision, we would love to know about that. You can email us at info at solacechurch.com and let us know what happened in your life today. Once again, thank you so much for taking time to check out this podcast.